We on? All right. We're always on. We're always on. You know how this works. <laughs> Hey everyone, uh, we are some nobodies. My name is Dylan. We're here with myself, Zach Wiseman, and Suzanne Grimmer. Did I say we're some nobodies already? I yeah, opened you with did. that. Yeah, we All are right, some, cool. We're still and some we, nobodies. And we are here to review the first episode of Lovecraft Country on Some Nobodies Review Lovecraft Country. How are you guys? Great. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Now that we're doing this finally. Finally. All right, cool. I've watched it four times yeah. waiting to do this. Right on. Yeah. So, uh, well, how, how is Suzanne? How is how are you, Suzanne? You don't have to answer if you don't want to. Okay. I don't know if it picked it up or not. She said I'm she's good. good. Okay. Good. I can cool. speak for myself, thank you. <laughs> she can. <laughs> All right. Theme, so, theme for me. <laughs> uh, if you did not listen to episode zero, Lovecraft Country is an HBO adaptation of a 2016 novel of the same name by Matt Ruff, which inserts Lovecraftian themes, tones, and a general storyline into 1950s America and inserts quite a hefty amount of racism as the characters themselves are primarily African-American. Mm -hmm. uh, and Lovecraft himself was a horrible racist. So it aims to aims to kind of retake the genre a little bit by introducing those story elements. I'm gonna go ahead and read the episode one synopsis first. Sundown, Atticus Freeman meets up with his friend Letitia and his uncle George to embark on a road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America in search of his missing father. Uh, initial thoughts? I'm gonna try spoiler free for like the first two minutes. Sure. Uh, I don't know anything about Lovecraft, so this was cool for me, and I don't know anything about this book, so I'm coming into it blind, and I was amazed and impressed 100%. I was caught off guard immediately, and I was sucked in, and like I said, I've watched it four times, so it was great. So, in my experience, Lovecraft was something that was taught in my high school curriculum. Hmm. Um, so that was always an interesting thing because it was very much the experience of fact, 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 we're still going to read it. Um, and so I had that, that information kind of coming into it, but very detached, very removed, not really recalling or doing too much research into it because it's very much on the surface. Um, I have read the book. I am in the process of reading it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I come at it from that perspective. I'm interested in comparing the adaptations. Um, and I just, I guess off the bat, spoiler free review, love that this first episode so succinctly, um, shows the transition from silent but present and felt white oppression to the outright horror of the African American experience during this time. Yeah, this, this show has a really cool tonal shift in the middle where it goes from like thriller suspense to straight horror mm -hmm. and sci-fi horror. Um, what, what was your thoughts? I really liked this initial episode. Yeah. Um, I thought the dream sequence was an inter interesting way to start it. I was not worried, but like, oh, this is a direction I didn't expect. And then it became clear what they were trying to do. I was raised not on Lovecraft, but reading Lovecraft from an early age. My dad had a bunch of collected stuff from when he was about my age from college. Um, and obviously a different time before his racism was in the spotlight. That's a pretty recent way of really analyzing this stuff. Um, I have more come into his influence. I, I am more a fan of the things which he has influenced and things that have been created in his shadow. While his shadow still looms over that genre nowadays. Um, and I think this is a really good kind of, at start, seeming portrayal of it, though... From a purely, like, Lovecraftian standpoint, a lot of this so far looks pretty like a surface paint over a deeper story about racism and white oppression. 
Yeah. Um, which is kind of how Lovecraft adaptations have to go nowadays. Doing a straight Lovecraft adaptation is difficult now. Yeah. Because his stuff is not action. It's not even outright scary horror. It's existential dread in a universe that fundamentally does not care about you. Yeah. In all fairness, this isn't an adaptation of Lovecraft, but a book about a country where Lovecraftian stuff happens. Right. And yeah. Lovecraftian stuff in, like, an eldritch horror sense, and also the racism sense. Yeah, like, true. Yeah, it's Lovecraftian in more ways than one. Um, so this show was uh, created by Misha Green and Mark Ruff. The executive producers were J.J. Abrams and Jordan Peele. Yes, it is Monkey Paw Productions, which is Jordan Peele's production company. Yeah, which yeah. is very cool. Yeah. Apparently he bought the rights to this a while ago and went right to J.J. Abrams with it and wanted to get this done immediately, which I love the production of it. Uh, it's a good-looking first episode. Chicago, yeah. 1950 Chicago looks, looks authentic. The... Are we, we're going to get into spoilers yeah, pretty much now. Yeah. Spoilers yeah. from here on out. Go watch the episode and then come back and listen to this. Yeah, for real. The monster design and look of the monsters at the end, they look good and they have a physicality to them. Yeah. Uh, all the costumes look good. The cars look good. Um, the music choices are fine. Shots of, like, period piece stuff, which if you look at any behind-the-scenes footage of stuff set in, I know uh, Boardwalk Empire has a lot of of background CGI and it's indistinguishable from what they're just filming so it looks good it looks like you know they're putting authenticity and effort into the production of the show yeah what did you find out about Jordan Peele um so these are the fun the I guess combination fun facts but then related things mm -hmm. I included mm -hmm. about him um I think it's important to note that he most importantly married Chelsea Peretti, they eloped back in 2016. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love her, she's hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, Jordan was raised by a single mom, who happens to be white, in the Upper East Side. Um, I know that this has informed a lot of his work. He attended Sarah Lawrence for two years before dropping out and ultimately kind of getting into his sketch comedy group. Um, interestingly, his family is descended from the Woodhulls, which are a colonial era family. So on his mother's side, he has very long roots hmm. in America. So Interesting. Um, I think all of that is important to note because in addition to this series, a lot of Peel's work um, brings to center issues with racism and colorism. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very felt here throughout this episode so far. There are definitely things even introduced from the book or left out from the book, vice versa, that kind of continue to paint that picture. Interesting fact, I was reading an interview uh, conducted with Peel, and there was a conversation about the casting of Us mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how that was almost a poignant, but not quite, uh, I wanna say racially poignant, it doesn't seem the right word, casting, it was, um, featuring a dark-skinned family, which goes directly against the Hollywood norms of prejudicial casting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, colorism is very much felt in Hollywood, so that's something that I'm interested to see, like, how Peel kind of, kind of, you know, unfolds that conversation. Yeah, it is cool when you're watching this and you can see the, the subtle colorism where, you know, between Letty and her sister Ruby, mm -hmm. and yeah. just a couple other things where even though it is very clear that it is black against white oh, here, yeah. it is, a, a, well, I guess the other way, white against black. Oh, yeah. Um, but even within, 
you know, the black culture, there is, you know, the, the light skin mm -hmm. and, and everything else. So that, that was pretty interesting, too. Um, and I do like the fact that you're reading the book. Uh, I purposely did not read it until we got done with this because I didn't want to get jaded by anything. I wanted to go into it completely blind. So, I uh, need to know everything. Yeah, as we're going through the scenes, <clears throat> it'd be really cool if you could just kind of touch on the things mm -hmm. that, you know, definitely go in the book. Definitely. So, uh, all right, let's go ahead and hop into it. Um, so, obviously, this is... Episode one uh, opens in a black and white war with trench fights and bombs. Quickly moves to color, which I think is a very cool yeah. thing because in war usually it's black and white. There's evil, there's good, and you fight. Uh, and as he goes through the trenches, then it kind of goes into color. You can see that obviously there's a lot of white people, a lot of black people. Then it goes into straight sci-fi. Mm -hmm. The unfolding it, of chaos. Yeah, yeah it while, also has an exaggerated frame rate at the start, like old war films. That yeah, slowly kind of gets back to an average yeah, yeah. and then it goes speed. into like just mars attack style very where, vivid color yeah beautiful color you get cthulhu quickly you get alien ships um you get the audio the of racist dialogues then you cut to just a red alien beaming down yeah and that actor was jamie chung yeah jamie chung perfect um do we oh do we think that this is perhaps his like dream vision of the woman he calls later in the episode um, I think that she will be the same actor I'm that plays curious. that, which is yeah. cool, and yeah. that, that mixed with The Princess of Mars, which is the book he's reading <laughs> yep. while he's sleeping. Yes. She is red-skinned, which is unique to the Barsoom trilogy, which is what he's reading. Right. The Martians are red-skinned humanoids. Then I thought it was pretty cool that Jackie Robinson just straight up just kills Cthulhu with a bat. And then gets... Splat. Yeah, get, get splatted again. Yeah, uh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Jackie Robinson turns around and is like, I got you, kid. I think that's cool. Yeah, it's I love how his dream works. It goes from his reality, which is war, into the things that he's super into, which is the books and the sci-fi. Jamie Chung voiced the woman on the phone. Mm -hmm. She's credited as Ji Ah. Yeah. Which is not a Barsoom name. So, so. We're, yeah, we're going to meet her soon. Yeah. Um, then he wakes up from his dream, and he's on a bus, and he's talking to a woman. And the bus breaks down, and that's a pretty interesting scene. That's the first time that you really uh, enter the realm of racism. Yeah. Because uh, that's, that's the scene. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, this is probably the scene where it's, like, the least directly acted racism, but it is the most, it is so subtly felt, it is so real, it is, it is... That hard cut to them watching them get into the truck to them walking down the road yeah you're just and the white man standing at the back of the truck looking yeah. at him you're like all right yeah and a, then it cuts you know. and you're like yep all right there's a couple times in this show where they do this thing where you know the heroes i'm gonna, I'm gonna keep referring to them as the heroes because they yeah. are the heroes of this journey the heroes will pass through the screen and everywhere just looming is subtle racism there's billboards of racism uh the one that stood out to me the most was the one where it's the you know the white family in a car and it's like, uh, this is a great America or something like that the in front of... The future or something, yeah, something yeah. about the American way. Yeah. Right, the American way. And then it's a line of you know African-Americans waiting for a bus. I think that everything that he it's does... probably late. That probably broke down because it's underfunded. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. who does it serve? Not my neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Atticus helps them with their bags. And that's where they get into the conversation about his books. Yep. They pretty uh, immediately drop into the Lovecraft with racist dialogue. Which yeah. is important for this to like... You got to. I don't want to say you have to get ahead of that, but it's very important for it to acknowledge it as soon as it can. Right, and I think that it's really interesting that Atticus brings up the fact that you have to separate the art from the artist in some degree. You have to go with the story. This was the first instance of a noticeable change between adaptations. In the book, this woman, this bus breakdown never happens. It's a told his his journey to Chicago is told differently. 
This is a conversation he has with his father. Does his father defend Lovecraft or? No. No. His father okay. takes the place of the woman walking, and it's, I believe, part of the, the bigger explosion of their relationship. Yeah. So that is one of the, the first changes. But that scene, like, you can't put an X in front of that. I thought mm. that was such a great conversation. No, it really sets the tone for what we're about to see. Yeah. And I like that it does allude to his issues with his father. Yes. It pays a good homage to and yet serves the story visually better. And I, I completely agree. Presumably his father appears later. I, I don't necessarily need book spoilers. I'm making an yeah. assumption. Yeah. But... Yeah, no book spoilers. I won't, I won't spoil for you guys. I'm a really, <laughs> I'm a really good AP English I'm, student. I, I always read ahead and never reveal. I'm too oh. busy reading Dunes still. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, but if... I feel like with a missing father story like this, if you see the parent beforehand, even if it was a flashback, there's probably some power removed from the reintroduction Reveal. later on. Yeah. I'm um, going to say probably by episode three or four, we're going to find out where the dad is. Real quick, does anyone else have like an association with the name Atticus? Like For me, it's like Atticus Finch, To yes, Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a very righteous name. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, refers to the golden age of Athens, which like we think of as like high and intellectual. Mm -hmm. So I, I've also paid attention to like naming and different things well, like that throughout the And his aunt's name, Aunt I believe, is Hippolyta. Yes. Yeah. Who There's is always a Hippolyta. The Queen yeah. of the Amazons. Yeah. She's gonna be a, a fierce woman at some oh, yeah. point. I yeah, she's gonna it. be a big deal. She is yeah. listed she's in the top three credits. She's the yeah. third build. The actor's name is Anjanu Ellis. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And she's she's not like widely known, but she's very like prolific yeah she's yeah. great she's great every scene that has them two like her and george together you just feel their love and you feel their connection and it's such a cool like relationship dynamic i think the I acting agree. across the board is no really uh, strong. Yeah, the, the dynamics and family familial relationships they build yeah all right let's get back to the show uh then we go to the bedroom that's the first time you meet uh hippolyta with george freeman she offers to go next time to make the trip instead, mm -hmm. which is the first time that you're hearing about the idea the of, guide. of the guide, right? Which is a really cool and interesting thing, which I learned a lot about. If you follow us on Instagram, you'll see a very long post today about the guide. Um, but do we want to talk about the guide real fast? Um, before so that, I have point. two oh, okay. things to mention. One, the introduction of Hippolyta here is completely different than the book. Um, this scene in particular also presents a different characterization of Hippolyta. In the book, she is on the road. She is already leading a guide. Oh, in okay. the scene here, two things happen. One, we're introduced to a soft and, and separately sexualized side of these two characters, mm -hmm. which is not normal for uh, the portrayal of African-American couples on screen. I'll go ahead and say that's not typically something we see romanticized or presented as normal. Sure. Um, so I love that. Uh, however, it does kind of uh, change her characterization to where she's not independent, she's not out on the road. There's a different relationship between her and George. So it plays into some more of the misogyny of the time. I'm curious to see what happens with that in terms of the series because a lot of the... Uh, Misogyny in the series is not present in the books, so those are my two notes about that scene. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely interested in going back to that. I mean, she does make a reference that she wanted to go, and then there was a reference later on that he was going to make sure that they go together. Well, there are references that did she write the guide, or did she go and then he based it off her some of her previous experience. It, they definitely... She is giving notes from him and other travelers, and she yeah. writes out yeah. their stories. But he also makes references to if 
like his knees being bashed mm -hmm. in and if she would have gone that it would have been worse for her so I wonder yeah I'm curious why yeah. they made that choice I'll keep you informed <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you um and yeah then you go to D which is George and Hippolyta's daughter she's drawing oh I was gonna say I love it because in the book fun fact D's character is actually Horace, and that is George and Hippolyta's son. Oh. So this is okay. one of two characters, which we'll get to later, that we've come across so far that have had their gender changed yeah. between the adaptations. Yeah. Which, in this case, I'm totally for. And I do think it's very cool that she's using a picture of her mom as reference for the drawing yeah. of the so comic. Cute. That was really cool. Um, really? And then and then we get Atticus again, right through the window, which is... It's a very good immediate definition of their relationship. Yes. She obviously misses him and very much loves him. Yep. And mm -hmm. when uh, George and Hippolyta come out, they're kind of like, ah, he's that. Like, a yeah. little bit of rascal in there. A little bit of not apprehension, but like, well, Atticus is back. Yeah. How you doing? Like, and that's also when you find out they call him Tick, which I think is the cutest nickname for Atticus. It's a good, it's a good nickname yeah, for Atticus. I like yeah. that a lot. Then we go to George's garage. And that's the first time that you see a Lovecraft material in mm -hmm. there. You see the book Outsiders and Others by Lovecraft. You see a lot of references to Arkham House. But that's also where he talks about the one poem that Lovecraft writes, uh, The Origin of the N-Word. Yeah, it's a, it's a very terrible poem, but you can see why that is a push for anger and a push for uh, a lot of things. Especially when you have a creative person like a Lovecraft and has just such a horrible, horrible veins. Mm -hmm. um, it really is, is striking. And it's a very interesting dynamic to have the artist versus art with the racism, with everything else that they're showing in this. Then we cut to the street party and this is where the soundtrack kicks in and that's mm -hmm. the first time that it clicked on me. Like, oh, I gotta start paying attention to the music in here too. From what I remember, this was the first use of roughly in period music. No, this was the first use of current music. This was a current hip hop oh, song. Oh yes, as okay. he's as they're going through the street park, as which I walking, think is a yeah. very or uh, the, the street. I thought party. you were talking about. I thought you were talking about uh, Tall Skinny Papa. No, not yet. Yeah. It's just when he's slowly walking yeah. through the thing. Yes. And it's like that really. Yeah, they really... cut in with the occasional anachronistic soundtrack yeah. piece, which is that's when he walks past the like the army recruiter with the table full yes. of kids and it's where they pass... up and they have that like yeah you see that extended eye contact mm -hmm. and no no, like... no salute yep. no acknowledgement nope. no respect. Paid. You see the cop shut down the water hydrant yep. the, the fire the hydrant the second instance of that kind of silent mm -hmm. but oppressive mm -hmm. racism the idea that you know he's a threatened guy yeah no. that's when Atticus goes over and talks to Sandy out back of the Denmark Verzi's bar so that's another scene that's unique to the series not present in the book and what's really cool about that is again it does like a couple of things it normalizes homosexuality mm -hmm. um both for like within the community but at that time it's mm -hmm. it's not the point of the scene it's not commented on in fact Atticus apologizes for interrupting yeah which and is like great kind of turns away like to, to, to like you know yeah I like I thought that scene was interesting yeah um, and this is the first time that we hear about the silver sedan um, yes so Sandy knows Atticus's father he knows a couple things that his father's into the alcohol and everything else and references that this car is, quote, uh, it shot off so fast that it had to be expensive, which is a really cool quote. Then we cut to the outdoor concert, which is where Ruby's yes. singing. And that's what we talked about earlier. So she's, uh, Ruby's singing, performing, um, and that's when we meet Letty for the very yeah, first time. Yeah, and so this scene is the first of a couple um, that 
characterize Letty's relationship with her family differently. Yeah. So oh. in the series, as opposed to the book, you see a little bit more of like an antagonizing relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this is also where we kind of see that first reference, or perhaps, uh, to colorism. Yeah. Letty's very ambitious. She wants to get a job downtown at the department stores as a counter girl, and she's going to serve people. And her sister presents the idea to her that, that that's you absurd. Can't. Yeah, you yeah. can't. You need to go and north and become a house cleaner or yes, something. Yes, and the important difference here is they share a mother and have different fathers and have had different experiences yep. and yep. have benefited and have not benefited because of their skin color. Right, and you can also tell that there's a bit of a rift between Letty and Ruby and most likely Letty has used Ruby before She's or taken, taken from. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is a, it is a, a lot introduced. It's an asymmetrical relationship yeah. in certain ways. Yeah. Um, and throughout the series, or at least this episode, you can see that it's similar that she has that relationship with a lot of people in her yeah. life. Oh, I just want to make sure for anyone listening, um, just a base idea of what colorism is as opposed to racism. Mm -hmm. It's the idea it's that discrimination can exist both within a race and across races based on a society's preference or belief that um, someone with any degree of lighter complexion holds more value than someone with dark skin. Yeah. So the idea that you can be, quote, more black or benefit from being lighter skinned. Mm -hmm. Right. Letty notices Tick for the first time in a while. Yep. Obvious attraction coming out. He does not see her. No. Yeah. She sees him yep. dancing with kids and dancing in yeah. the Hydra and stuff, which is cool. Uh, that's the, also the first n uh, mention that Letty's mom has passed and Letty missed the funeral, which I think is a cool character mm -hmm. development as well. In the conversation, Letty talks to Ruby about staying there for a while, needing a place to stay, and that's when they had that conversation that you spoke about, about Letty wanted the job in, in the yeah. fashion store yeah. and Ruby saying that she should just go clean houses. Letty only gives her two nights, I'm sorry, Ruby gives her two nights to stay, um, and you can tell that there's just a weird tension there. There is tension. Yeah. Yeah. Then we're going to cut to the Freeman's house. Um, it's very obvious that he's got bad knees. Once again, they're doing a very good job of visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit more of the guidebook talk. As they're looking through the guidebook, I thought this was really cool that Dee had started drawing little pictures in the guidebook. Yeah. Uh, some were werewolves. Uh, I saw clan members. Mm -hmm. I saw some castles. Grim Reaper with a clock. The, yeah, which is in Devon County, which is where they have to go. Yep. Which Atticus is sure to point out to a an otherwise ignorant Uncle George. Yeah, which is wild that Uncle George didn't know that I was there, but whatever. I suspect he was probably just like, oh, it's just her drawing. Yeah, as opposed to yeah. like as researched to, doodles. Yes. Yeah. So that's when George tells him that he wants to go to Devon County anyway for the guidebook. Yep. So now we have the join up part. A cut to the uh, cut to the street. Atticus walks past the silver car for the first time. Atticus goes into an apartment which we're assuming is his house. And he sits down in the bed and he calls a very long phone number, which I googled yeah. many versions of this number and got absolutely nothing. Uh, but it is a number in South Korea. Yeah. When the person answers the phone, they speak in Korean first, mm -hmm. transition to English, and this person knows that it's Tick and says that he should not have gone home. Yes. What'd you get from that? I had questions as to whether this actually happened or if it was part of a dream sequence or part of some sort of psychic event. Yeah, so he's in a Korean War. He did something there. He did something. Yeah, There's going to be something shed. There's going to be some light shed on what he's done. Yeah, so much so that this person shows up in his dreams. Yep. So 
That's pretty big. Um, all right, then hard cut to the next day. Atticus on the street. Letty's parking the car. Uh, she's packing up the car. They actually mentioned that Letty and Atticus had uh, a bit of a, a relationship. They are old sci-fi nerds. They're old sci-fi nerds. She they, was the only woman in their club. In, Friends. In the Southside, the Southside Creature Sci-Fi Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nerd, nerd, nerd relationship. Not romantic. They know each other previously. Yeah. Um, that's when D comes out and they do their quick check, which is adorable. Yeah. Uh, when that's the comic reveal. He thinks it's the next episode of Panther Man. It turns out yeah. to be Arinthia Blue. Yeah. Which was such a beautiful little cover. name. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Great name, great cover. What, what style is that? That's like a... Like a it's retro-futurism. Retro-futurism, yeah. With the, yeah. the fishbowl uh, space suit heads. Yeah. And the swoopy wings on the spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so cool that her imagination goes that way. Yeah. Her creativity goes it's, that way. It's very much... At least a sci-fi genre indicative of this time frame. Yeah. And when you look at the back of the comic, there's an ad that she drew up yep. for the guide, which yeah. is adorable. Uh, also, the car is called Woody. Yeah. I think that's cool with the wood panels. Wood panels. We, yeah. used to have a, we used to have a wood panel station. Yeah, a little Woody? Way back when, in Cal- when we lived in California. Hard cut to Midwest. Did you happen to get the audio conversation? It is James Baldwin's debate on race with William F. Buckley Jr., it is non-diegetic because that debate took place after the setting of the show. Yeah. In Britain. Um, but it was kind of one-sided from what it seems. Yeah, it's a powerful it's a powerful uh, speech is going over some pretty disgusting visuals. Oh, yeah. This is one of the visuals where you get that nasty ice cream parlor scene where... Where Buddy Holly pr- pretends that he's a monkey. Well, there's that scene, yeah. but before that, it's the one where oh. there's like all these white people yeah. waiting, and they're all having a great time eating ice cream. And there's, and there's a the cop counter. with his back towards everybody, and, they're mm-hmm. just, and it's just a child and a man waiting for, you know, ice cream just because they're black and not being served. Then you got like the gas station scene, mm-hmm. but you can tell that in between each of those horrific events, as they're driving, they're like slowly swerving on the road, their mm-hmm. arms are out, they're enjoying the, the travel. They're having a good time. And then every stop, every spot they get to, is just a nasty, nasty place. Atticus washes. Remember that scene where Atticus is outside and oh, he yeah. has his shirt off and he's just washing? And uh, Letty's just taking pictures of him. And that's when they decide to go to the diner. And The diner is probably the first crux of this of the episode. Yeah. Everything before this is set up, and I think this is the first kind of payoff we get. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because it leads directly into the chase, but this is where the world opens up for the audience through the characters. Right, and that's when things the, the pace picks up. Yep. That's when the speed of the show picks up. Yeah, you start to feel the tension of the characters. They're not all on the same page. There starts to be this outspoken tension. Yeah. You get a lot of weird visual shifts subtly and the filming of things. It's when when the racism of the setting stops being passive and actively intrudes on the characters. And it becomes a threat. It's the second that they get to uh, Simmonsville because as soon as they get there, that's when they have that scene outside of the firehouse with those firemen outside and that dog barking. Mm -hmm. And that's when all the arms go back into the car. And Mm -hmm. you can tell that then they're back to being serious and gotta pay attention. There's um, one other thing I want to point out that's different around Mm -hmm. this time of the book adaptation to film um back to letty and back to the sexism uh in the book she drives the car without it being a thing it's interesting that this is the second time uncle george is characterized as being sexist yes in the book he is not now i'm curious if they do that for that scene that letty has later on I'm, I'm just, I'm just, exactly, like, does, does this kind of motivate to, to build her character in some yeah. way, or what the, 
what it is, what's going on. Because she is top build, and I would assume mm-hmm. that they yeah, have to... Yeah, she is the first yeah. name. And yeah. they have to do things to make her character a brighter star. Yeah. So if they are pushing her down to give her that, I'm rising up over this, which is an annoying, weird weak writing trope, but I guess I can understand why they would do that. And the other thing historically that kind of feels off about it is that like, so we get two positive sex scenes. Um, One is homosexual, and it does a good job of showing that at this time the African American community was more inclusive of of everything, Mm -hmm. right? So that includes supportive women. So this would possibly arguably be a mischaracterization of sexism within that community yeah so it it plays to a lot of things and like you're saying if it serves her character growth he's also an older man in the league yeah yeah and so and she did make a reference that she wasn't allowed to drive earlier yes so i think it's more uncle george than society Correct. it's probably uncle george taking on that old school old-timey gentleman yeah role yeah. Where but, it's, I don't think he's actively sexist. I think he holds on to older worldviews, and I think it's more him just kind of like. Yeah, yeah it's just it, curious that they. We're on a dangerous trip. Him. You're yeah. a young woman. I'll be the one in the at the wheel in case we're confronted by someone. Yeah, which does link up properly with his uh, protection of Hippolyta by not wanting her to do anything by taking more of the punishment himself. So I'm I'm assuming that it is, but you're right. That is an odd thing to to bring up. Uh, normalization of certain things, but also to write in a bit of a, yeah. a, a sexist uh, thing. Questions. So, after the the firehouse thing, that's when we get to what George says is supposed to be a red brick building. Yep. When they get there, it's a white brick building. Except the name is changed. Except the building next to it it's is burnt. It's completely burnt out. And <laughs> there is a red bar- there is a red banister of bricks above the white building that has scorch marks on it. Oh, I didn't notice yep. that. That's cool. Um, but it's very clearly a n- freshly painted white building. Yeah. So the heroes walk in here, and then there's a really, really white person. And I wrote down... Two really white I, I wrote down that the person, the waiter, is laundry detergent white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also a white diner, and he leaves immediately. Yes. And then the, the chalk of the server, just that human stick of chalk, comes over and, like a punk, just doesn't do anything and walks in the back. That's when Letty goes to the restroom and overhears him speaking to somebody about... After what you did to, to Miss Lydia, yes. of course I didn't serve them. Yeah. You know I, I, I didn't... They just sat, they just sat themselves. The scene, from a writing perspective, is <laughs> fine. Yeah. It's fine because it, re- it relies on her leaving randomly to use the bathroom and overhearing him yep. specifically say at the moment. But that's yeah. fine. Because what it leads to <laughs> is a pretty good chase yeah, scene. It's her coming out and like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, they respond immediately. They yeah. know what she means. There's no yeah. moment of like, what do you mean? They yeah. get up they and know. go right to away. the car. Now there is a, George does say, like, let me drive, and, and it, she's already no, in the car. Oh, yep. my favorite <clears throat> part of this scene is not that it's let me drive, it's girl, yeah, girl. multiple times. And we get the line. My name's not girl, it's Letitia fucking Lewis. Yeah, it's like, a, it's a thesis statement for the character. Yeah, yeah I love it. We it's get great. it. Episode one. <clears throat> yeah. I, I do think it's interesting that when it's it's the firemen that come, mm-hmm. the initial firemen we see, they come. Yes. They're the ones that have set the fire in the old place, <laughs> and they come up there shooting. Yes. Like, immediately gunshots. Like, there's not even, yeah. there's not even, like, trying to catch. They're in a car with a rifle in the back. Yep. Like, Multiple. a 50 cal, like, it's yeah. a huge It's rifle. a hunting rifle. Um, so Letty drives. She does a great job driving. Yeah, she's great. 
it's it's a it's a chase scene with some gunshots exchanged. Nobody gets hit, but the window gets blown out. And that's when Atticus sees the silver sedan. Yes, and it is sight. It is going alongside them. Yeah. She pulls up ahead of it. It pulls up behind them. It sight goes sideways, and there is a shot where the car behind them very clearly flips after impacting something that is not the car. Yeah. And at first I thought, oh no, they messed up the shot and Bad kept CG. it. CG. Yeah. <laughs> My first thought was like. They triggered the, the flip plate too early. Yeah. And then they stop. Yep. And the white woman gets out of the car, walks around, and just kind of looks at them. Yep. And they leave. Red hat, black dress, don't mm -hmm. know anything about her. She... Obviously wealthy. Obviously yeah. well-to-do. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't say anything. Very white. But clearly helps them out. Yes. Yeah, very clearly is at least not antagonistic. Yep. Uh, and they leave. They go to Marvin's right mm -hmm. away. Yep. Because they don't want to do anything else. And they talk about the drive-in, they talk about the crash, mm -hmm. Marvin's asking, like, what happened? And they just kind of, they're like, oh, it's Letty, Letty did a good job. Um, they're very blase about it. Yeah. Which I, I suppose George is probably used to this at yeah. some level. But also I think Atticus saw that magic happened. Atticus saw something weird happen. Yeah. yeah. And this is another one of those scenes where, absent from the book, present in the show, we have this conversation unfolding at dinner, as soon as it turns to business of the night, the men pass their plates to Letty yep. and she exits the scene, yeah. whereas yeah. in the book, she is present. She's a part of it. Yeah. And the argument that unfolds between her and her brother, again, present in the series, absent in the book, plays to the characterization of Letty, perhaps, plays into why and how she gets back on the road with, with these two. It, it does seem it to be serves giving, a purpose. It does seem to be giving her a bit more oomph for the yeah, setting. Yeah, she's have definitely her, establishing herself. To have her be so bold against what in the show is being depicted as just casual gender roles gives her a little more power in the narrative. Yeah, and I guess it is another subtly weak way to keep her with the heroes. Because she was supposed to stay at Marvin's for a little bit. No, she snuck out because... Again, it's Letitia fucking Lewis. Well, I know, but even Marvin during a fight was like, you shouldn't be staying here or something like that, so... Well, he kind of kicks her out, and that's why she's... He's not happy to have her there. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think they're just pushing her to stay with, uh, with, with the, mm -hmm. our friends. Um, but Marvin has a bunch of information for them. He has documentation on where Devon County is. Mm -hmm. He has documentation on how bad some of these cops are. Where Artemis? Yeah, where Artemis, Which yeah. is not marked on his map. No, we had to go back 200 years in the Census Bureau. Yep. And he also tells them that it's all inside of uh, Bideford, which is known for being huge with witch hunters. Mm -hmm. And they yes. also make a reference to these witches having sex with these demons that were actually just black people. Yeah. So... They've made multiple references at that point in the show to Salem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which and is what Arkham was based on historically in Lovecraft's writing. Right. And if you think about Lovecraft's writing when it comes to African Americans, they're making his depiction of African Americans the same thing as racist communities yes. in, in uh, the show, which is really interesting. Let's see. So we also get uh, the cop, Eustace Hung. Hunt. I think the sheriff's name is Hunt. Eustace sheriff Hunt? Yes. Yeah, Eustace, oh, Eustace Hunt. Hunt. Oh, yeah. Eustace Hunt. So once they find us in the middle of nowhere, without uh, even like a, a question, Atticus wants to go. He wants to find out where his father is. He wants to find this mystery. And I think it's probably because of his sci-fi love that makes him want to find the adventure anyway, as well as learning more about his dad. 
then we have the conversation over the phone where Dee is talking to George mm -hmm. about the comic book, which is a real nice scene. I do like that in her comic book, their intergalactic car is called Stony. Yeah. I thought that was pretty nice. Hippolyta mentions that she really wants to see Cassiopeia. Yeah. It plays into the star stuff that Lovecraft wrote yeah. about. Yeah. Um, we'll see if it actually comes to anything or if it's just supposed to be a like, character painting. Yeah. It would be interesting because Cassiopeia is... Uh, it's the story of a mother who tries to use her daughter in place of her own sacrifice and then is punished by the gods for it. Interesting. So oh. I, dot, dot, dot. I really yeah, think it's just cool. like a like a note, like a referential note, and that it's like a cute characterization that Hippolyta would be a stargazer. Yeah. Or that potentially this birthright is calling them home for yeah. a more nefarious purpose than giving or it to them. Or something else or is maybe going on. Or yeah. foreshadowing of her killing D. I know, right? I'm we just, we just fell in love with Dee. And that's when we find out that George is going, is inviting his wife to the next travel. Which feels like an empty, empty promise of I want to do this thing, but I oh, never Oh, yeah. It's, it is pure just like, of course. Yeah. yeah yes, next year. Now, did you get the feeling that he feels that he's going to die soon? I get the feeling that he knows that what he's doing is dangerous. Yeah. Whether it, whether it is an imminent death or just a very, very likely possibility, at some point on this travel... I don't know. I, I think it's more that he knows that what he's doing could very well lead to his family being without him. Yeah. He lives with his mortality present. Yeah. He, and that's why I think it's so interesting when they, when they went to Lydia is that it was the first and really only time we see him take the stance of, I'm a citizen, goddammit, I can be served anywhere. Yeah. This is also just after they've been shot out by the inhabitants. So there's yeah. the residual the guilt coming back over him. Yeah. He's just had a reminder that what he's doing yeah. is dangerous. So it's on the forefront of his mind. Yeah. But I will say that their love is cute. Yeah. Now, whether it's an open promise or not, like I, when she hears him ask that, she soaks it in, mm -hmm. and I think that their love is gorgeous. Then we're going to get a hard cut to outside at night, letting Marv are fighting very loud. Atticus and George are talking about Tick's upbringing. Um... That's when Tick brings up the holes in the walls and yeah. how that happened because of the fight with the dad. Um, and apparently the fight with the dad was about recruiting more soldiers in an interview, which then ties back to that earlier scene and why it shows Atticus, you know, it's, kind of throwing a side eye to the it. argument that drove Atticus out of the house. And ultimately um, his father t pretty much told him it was disgusting that he wanted to give an interview that would only serve to recruit more soldiers. Right. Which Atticus is left didn't give the interview. Yeah. Right, which is the, the Muhammad Ali point of view when it comes to going into the army, which is why would I fight for a country that hates me? Yeah. Why would I go fight somebody else? Yeah. You know? it's, that's Tick's father to a T. Right. Um, let's see. Where are we at here? Um, so at this point after they kind of, you know, Letty and her brother have their family thing and George and Tick un unpack some of their family stuff. It's yeah. like the next day, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there was there was one interesting thing in that conversation where Atticus mentions that he had a hard time, you know, growing up. George mentions that the f that the the father, who is mm. George's brother, was the younger one and took a brunt of it. But then Atticus says, "Then why didn't you protect me? I was mm -hmm. the younger one." So it's odd to think that I guess Atticus also grew up with punishment yeah. that George knew about and and was aware of and did nothing. Well, it's about. that it's that circular incidence of family trauma where yeah. it yeah. was done to one, so and they've been know. raised to think it's at least I made it through. 
you can make it through. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting that it took until this point for yeah. Atticus to bring that up in any kind of regard. Atticus is the one to break the wheel. Yeah. It, George was not able to, but Atticus has been raised in an environment where he is the one who's able to really break that cycle. Yeah. After seeing George, despite him being unable to stop it, or unwilling, who knows, uh, despite him being un, uh, not stopping it, he still sees that George was at least some some level resentful of it, yeah. and so he decides he will probably be the one to end this. Uh, next morning, you have Atticus and George. They're at the car. Letty brings out the luggage and just gets right into the car quietly. Without conversation. Doesn't say anything. They all just know. They just, yeah, they That's get their funny. list together and go. Hard cut, Devon County. So now we're here. We know that this is a bad place. We know that there's no st stops, no guide stops anywhere around. The car talk is already frustrated when, we, when we're at our heroes. They're looking for a road, which isn't there. So Atticus tells him to stop. He wants to just look on mm -hmm. foot for a road. Yeah. That might, might have been be a... overgrown. You don't know. Yeah, he is just frustrated beyond belief. <laughs> yeah, he needed. They needed him to get out of the car for the shot. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. I understand it totally. <laughs> Let's. Yep. Letty follows him out. Subtle banter about the Shoggoth, which is a pretty legendary Lovecraft creature. Shoggoth is kind of like the default Lovecraft creature. When oh. people think of Lovecraft monsters, they think of Cthulhu. And then you think of the Shoggoth. Yeah. Shoggoth in the original writings is just a mass of tentacles and eyes and teeth and flesh that kind of rolls onto things and eats them and crushes them. Yeah. Um, they make a subtle reference to it just being a blob with eyes yeah. at this point. Yeah. And that's when the conversation they're having about the Shoggoth, that's when a cop car slowly pulls up. Behind everyone. Behind everyone. And you to can, no one's attention. Yeah. And you get immediately yeah. feel tension. Um, the minute that car rounds, you're going, all right, here yeah. it is. Here, here we go. go. Here we the go. real monster is man. Yeah. George, once again, acting's perfect. He is, you can tell that he oh, feels he... harassed, but also just wants to get this over with. And that's the first time that we hear about the Sundown Town or yeah. slash county talk. Yeah. Uh, do you want to describe what a Sundown County is? In very, very short terms, a Sundown Town was a place in America where if a black person was found after sundown they would generally be lynched because yeah. the inhabitants were that racist it yeah. was that illegal to be a person it was a, of color. it was punishable by death to be a person of color in those towns yeah and the sheriff here mentions that it is a sundown county yeah this is one of the most embarrassing like scenes to watch it's, it's rough it was rough uh i i give credit to the actor who plays this cop because that's a tough role to play he did it <clears throat> and he did it so perfectly that i hate this guy uh he he's a great actor and just really dresses down atticus makes him yeah really just, just straight, hum please. he humiliates him just straight up humiliates him but in a scene the the experience of every black american at this time yeah yeah, yeah. And so the conversation is that they have until 7.09, which is when sundown is. They have like seven minutes, mm -hmm. I think. And that's when... It's a fun at, little exchange. Yeah, it's, it's a little like, exchange. You're not going to make it county. going south. Yeah. Can I yeah. make a U-turn? Yeah. Ah, uh, you're a smart one. If you ask me real nice. If you ask me really nice, and then he has him repeat what he has him repeat. And then that's when that 25 mile an hour car chase scene yeah. comes, Which is... What a good... What a great Execution. scene. Yeah, good <laughs> scene. It was so much tension and so much anxiety while being so slow. Yeah. And the the fluctuation between overt violence mm -hmm. of like of the police officer like pushing their car Ramming and their forcing car. them to speed and then slowing back menacingly to like let them go yep. with the speed they want all, and all see while what happens. Suddenly joyriding and kinda you know, yeah. just a real prick. And you get this tension of the sunset, which 
isn't a very fast thing. It's not an exact thing. It's like yes. that's the worst part. Is sundown is when and what, and now it's, it's behind the trees, the, now it's above behind the, the horizon. Yep. Like what? Where is it? So they finally get there. They make it. They go to the tracks. Across the bridge. And they re are relieved. And then. And then immediately more cops. Just a line of cops with their guns it, out. Just blocking the road. Block. Next, you just get a hard cut to them being pushed through the woods. Yep. It's and these dark. racist bitch cops, um, they push everybody down the ground and they kind of are. Here's how it's going to go. Yeah. You're going to say this. Questioning them about. We're going to say that. It's a lead up to an execution. Yeah, and they know. It is going to be. And they're and having. They know I thought you said they were going to be gypsies. Yeah. While they're travelers, close enough. Yeah, yeah. They're just terrorizing these people. They're just having a good time until they kill them. And then Atticus accidentally drops the cop's name, which is yep. such a weird Whoops. thing. And right when the cop is about to shoot them, you get some weird screams and chittering out of the woods. Um, you get some good creature noises in the yeah. distance. Cops are looking around worried, and then just a straight up wrestling spear. One of the cops gets taken down. There's a blur of something, and then a man's arm lands on the ground. Yeah. Holding and a flashlight still. <laughs> Tick and Letty just dip out of there quickly. Uh, you get some cops firing, get some cops running around. There's that one scene where a cop gets eaten, and then hands go through his midsection. Yeah. Because these, the, these blob creatures in this series... The monsters and the blood in this uh, mon creature attack scene yeah. ramp up very quickly. I love that the whole scene was set at the beginning of the day with all of the characters making the choice to wear white or lighter colored shirts. Yes. Yeah. Because the payoff here is just ultimate. You no, I will say dried blood does not dry that bright red. No. It no, dries it, a yeah, brown, a but they never dry they a brown. No. Anyway. <laughs> uh, do you want to describe what the Shoggoth is in this series versus the So book? in this series, the Shoggoth is about a man-sized, bear-like creature, large forearms, a pair of smaller arms on the chest, which yeah. are more jointed. They're kind of like grasping ones a little bit. And then they have multiple kind of asymmetrical eye placements on their kind of fleshy head. And then they have a massive teeth mouth full of teeth. And tongues. And tongues. Multiple tongues. Yeah, a lot of tongues. The other mouth is like tongues. five or six creature, just whipping little the tongues. The creature design's pretty fun. Yeah. And it's f I'm fine with it. <laughs> it. Like, yes, it is a big, weird, huge mole eyeball creature. Yes. But it never burrow, looks and fake. They, they burrow and they leap through the trees and they're portrayal and the effects on them are very good. Yeah, they did a very good job. There's a there's a physicality to them that feels very very lifelike. They don't feel too light. Yeah. They don't feel like they are floating. Like a lot of CGI creatures will kind of float sometimes. Yeah. They, they feel don't like have they weight. have heft. Yeah. When it hit when it lunges at the car, it feels like the car is actually moving. Um I will say the blood looks a little too thin, but that's just a personal gripe I think. Yeah you do like thick blood. A little bit. Um apparently I read a little bit on the creature design. Uh, if you watch carefully, they have gills behind their head. Yeah. And when he bites down, the blood fans out from between the gills. That is so cool. And it's so cool. Yeah. Maybe that's adding some sort of viscosity liquid yeah, sure. stuff to it, and that's yeah. why it's so straight <laughs> now, bright. Quick why question. Not? How was that car chase scene in the book? So, that all played out pretty similarly. I will say that, like, other other scenes like that in the, in the show are, you know, condensed or abbreviated. Uh, what was most different about the scene is um, after there's the roadblock, uh, they ultimately get back to the car and take a police car, I think. Um, they definitely leave in a car. So after they survive the night, as opposed to how Letty 
runs, brings the car, brings the light, is All the right. savior with light. Oh, okay. It's a different survival and exit. Yeah. Is, light, um, is light their weakness in the book, as far as you know? I feel like that's not necessarily yeah. mentioned right. at this point. Right. It's in the in the book, I want to say there's almost reference to a, like, and yet they don't attack us for some reason kind ah, of thing. okay. Which I feel like is here too, but less overt. They yeah. are they also, directing with the light. Yeah, yes. I think that's cool. It's like, maybe it's like, because they, they do make a reference to it being similar to vampires. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we're jumping ahead a little bit. So, after the gunfight, whatever, that's when Letty and Tick go to the, the cabin. They find that cabin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alongside the, the sheriff. And the white men show up and have and the white men bros. show up, yeah. Uh, they, we do see George on the ground, and then he grabs that flashlight out of a hand, and that is probably the fakest thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> when he yeah. pulls the hand, it's like a perfect it's like such a circle. Perfect circle. Like you took a cookie cutter. So the two cops, the two cops that are in the cabin, they shoot the door to get in. The sheriff is very badly hurt. Adam, uh, yes, you should you could, shoot him. You should shoot him right yeah, now. <laughs> you, could, you could tell that he's starting to sound different. Like his voice is getting he's modulated. Started, he's coughing a little bit. He's coughing, but and also his growling. voice, his voice is deeper. It's growling. Um, For example. Yeah, Tick wants to run outside and grab George, but the cop stops him. But then George comes right in, whatever. Uh, George has a conversation about vampires and they need to survive using sunlight. The cop now is... For some reason, he decides that Letty should go instead of Atticus to go get the car. Because he says, you're smart enough, you might leave. Which is just an odd thing. Because he only wanted the car to get George and Letty out. It's just odd for me. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. No, it's, I get it. it Either way. It points to the idea that it's like he recognizes this guy is smart, and yet let me demean you by pointing out that you're probably not even going to be like by having the woman loyal. go. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, I'm thinking from a writer perspective, you probably want Atticus to be there to see the transformation. Yeah. So yeah. Can and Letty, and also Letty running down the street is a very cool scene. Yeah. Plus, it's the second time she saves the day. She goes. Yeah. She's like the marathon runner and bringer of light. Yeah, Atticus has that great line where he says, I'm not scared because fear won't save me right now. You will. Which I think is a yeah. great, great line. Letty takes off running. Um, this cry is when the, running. This, yeah, oh, running. She's, she's yeah. hoofing it. Um, this is when the cop starts transforming terribly. And that's when George uh, is a yeah. cool line. Like, shoot you, him. You shoot need, him now. You, shoot him. you should shoot him. Yeah. He's very matter-of-fact about it, and I appreciate that about yeah. George. Yeah. Um, we cut back to Letty, and that's when the highlights... Or the headlights are on the mole blob now. Uh, when we get back to the cabin, the cop is almost fully transformed, and he bites that other cop's oh. chin and jaw right off. And it just off. takes a hole out of him. That was so graphic and so cool looking. It's it's such a shocking swerve from earlier in the episode, where it's the violence is very understated. A lot of gunfights and stuff like that. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you're dealing with these things that can bite a person to pieces. Yeah, and can, and can also take a gunshot. Because Atticus shoots this thing twice in the back and with a nothing, shotgun. Yeah, when nothing really happens until Letty smashes into the you know into the yeah. wall with the car. The beast just gets right up, can take a car hit, jumps <laughs> yeah. out the window. There's a lot of uh, Shagas coming. There's a lot of them in the woods. There's a lot. And then they throw a bunch of flares out, and mm-hmm. they're getting ready to fight. Yeah, they're ready for they're something. Ready to go down. And then there's a mysterious whistle, and yep. all the beasts run away. Mm-hmm. They just dip. Hard cut to the morning. The heroes are beat and bloody, and they're just walking. I don't know why they don't get a car, but they walk. Apparently, they walk all the way to Arum. Yeah. I didn't understand the transition either. Yeah, it was um, odd. It's odd because, okay, so I guess this. there are little threads of, like, references to, like, like Greek and Roman mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the idea of, like, the hero going through a mysterious fog and finding enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Sure. Yeah. In the in the in the book, it's kind of like they drive all night and like 
they kind of nod yeah. in and out, and they don't really recall where they are, how they got there, and then yeah. they find themselves entering what is ultimately more of a we have a surf. Oh, yeah. So you oh, go wow. through like you go through huh. all of those layers up to the grand house. Interesting. Yeah, oh. yeah but it's it's just odd that they just walk all night right to the like, right mansion to the point where they're like falling over like. <laughs> yeah, and then you get Jordan Patrick Smith of Vikings answering the door. And all he says is, we've been expecting you, Mr. Freeman. Welcome home. Yeah. And then you get the song Sinner Man playing and uh, that yeah. credits. So, now that we've gone back through it, overall thoughts? Good start. Yeah, very good start. Um, they set up a lot. I hope that the mysterious whistler is more than just the same bad guy. I don't know. I think the whistler is the girl. The, 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 the woman who drives the sedan. The silver car. Okay. I would say that that family has powers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that family is Freeman's family. Yeah, they're probably those Shoggoths are probably like pets. Yeah. Um, what was your thoughts, Suzanne? Um, so the predictions I had like bef- yeah. before I read the book were that um, I really think that we're gonna find that Atticus Freeman, in some way, because of his mother's mysterious past, is like air in some way mm-hmm. yeah. to something here mm-hmm. I'm not so sure where else it's gonna go because like h- how could that be taken in what direction can that sure. go yeah. um, is it well received yeah. or not uh, so I think that's gonna be where the interesting tension lies now being a fan of Lovecraft mm-hmm. is there a Lovecraft creature that you would like to see show up here that is not obviously Cthulhu the obvious one is Cthulhu yeah um, we already, I would we already like, got that I know <laughs> kind of. It wasn't actually Cthulhu. It was a flying Cthulhu head. Yeah. That's all right. That's fine. I don't expect Cthulhu to make an appearance. Yeah. Usually when Cthulhu shows up, he is the spotlight. Yeah. Um, I would like something similar to something from the color out of space in which an asteroid lands on a man's farmhouse and emits a strange field, which if you've seen Annihilation is kind of like an A-B adaptation of the uh. color out of space where it emits a strange field and things go mad within it. I would want to see the meteorite. I want to see something like the color out of space, which is a color you can't find on Earth that has strange properties. Oh, cool. I'd also like to see, and this is like a two things, super slim chance, a character named Nyarlathotep, known as the Crawling Chaos. Okay. He is the only Elder God or Ancient One, or whatever the term they use. They're, they use them pretty differently. Who kind of involves himself in humanity's business, generally negatively, but he's been around since, like... Nyarlat Hotep, he was a pharaoh. As an elder god, like he was a god who came down and became a pharaoh, and now he crawls across the earth and mutates people and does his own thing. Mm. I'd like to see that because you never see him in anything. Yeah. And I'd like to see Azathoth. Azathoth is like the if you need like a satanic figure, he is the nuclear chaos as nuclear is in the center of everything. Mm-hmm. So he is at the center of the universe. He is kept asleep by a bunch of blind, deaf, mute trumpeters. Like, literally blowing horns to keep him asleep, because if he wakes up, his thoughts will annihilate reality. Oh. Like, the minute he wakes up, oh, yeah. his thoughts are so massive and powerful that it just wipes reality clean. Mm-hmm. So he's kept he's kept asleep. I'd like some reference to something like that. Yeah. I want a reference to something that's not Cthulhu. I don't know Lovecraft very yeah. well, so I would say that the, the thing that I'm looking forward to is seeing references to Lovecraft through references that I know. Sure. Like, if so-and-so took a lot of inspiration from Lovecraft and made this. I'm like, oh, that's a Lovecraft inspiration. That's cool. Uh, that's really the only thing I'm looking forward to. And, like, just hearing Dylan talk about all this, I'm like, okay, Letty. Let's go back to Letty. She saves him twice in this first episode. 
she's got this sort of not not necessarily premonition like quality or savior something there's something about her i think there's going to be a supernatural development with her yeah. that would be really cool i would be so into it so she's supernatural yeah or or if like she becomes a conduit yeah sure that's great i want that Either way, I'm excited. Great start to a show. Yeah. I'm hooked. I'll watch it all. I'm in. And I hope you guys want to listen to this every week. Uh, we are can... competing with the official HBO podcast. That's they have true. An official companion podcast. Well, we're up there. We're getting there. We're not sellouts. We're not getting paid to do this. Not yet. Not yet. We just want to do it. Speaking yeah. of paying us to do stuff. Yeah, you can find everything that we do on www.somenobodies.com. If you want to help out and support any of our shows, you can go to patreon.com backslash somenobodies. My name is Zach Wiseman. You can find me on social media at Noah Body. My name is Dylan Terry. You can find me everywhere at Vorpal Words. And I'm Suzanne Grimmer. And you can't find me out there, so don't look. Just listen for me here. Yeah, you can find her here with us. Yeah. We are Some Nobodies. Thank you guys very much. You can catch all these episodes the Monday after the show. And uh, reach out to us. We want to hear about it. We do. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> all right, I forgot our sign off. Dinner will be served in 15 minutes. Don't mind the others. Just because they don't want you here doesn't mean you're not supposed to be. The secret birthright Pop wrote about is real. Our destinies are not decided by our family. You just have to seize it. I thought the world was one way and I found out it isn't. Terrifies me. I thought I had everything I wanted. Only to discover power. Like I've never known before. It's a rat race to the finish. And it's winner takes all. We gotta face this new world head on. Instinct, I claim in it. It's our story. This birthright belongs to our family.